Good afternoon again, everyone. My name is Glenn Parkinson, and I'm president of Canadian Club Toronto and your host for today. And a warm welcome to those of us joining us online at CanadianClub.org. Whether you're joining us online or in person, our events rely on the generous sponsorship, generous support from our sponsors. Today's event is sponsored by PwC, and Steichman Elliott is our streaming partner, ensuring that the conversation is available free online to all our viewers. So thank you both for your contributions. We also thank Canadian Bankers Association, our returning season sponsor, and our, our airline partner, Air Canada. Our event today, and, and in fact our entire season this season, is carbon neutral. And that's thanks to our partnership with Canada's Forest Trust, fostering sustainable forest practices and connecting Canadians more directly with nature. Together, we're not only compensating for our, today, our footprint today, but also nurturing a green legacy for future generations. So thank you, CFT, for planting a forest and preserving it in our honour. Canadian Club Toronto regularly invites young leaders to join our events, and today we welcome a table from Metropolitan University's Aerospace Engineering, as well as Architectural Science Programs. Now, before I turn things over to Mark, I'll remind you that we want our events to be as, inclu as inclusive and interactive as possible, and we'd like to involve you as, as members and audience members. So please use the question cards you'll find on your table if you have questions or points you'd like to raise to the panelists during the discussion, and our pages will run them up to the front. And for those of you joining online, hit the submit a question button on the right-hand side of your screen, and similarly, the question will make it to our team here, and we'll bring them up to the, to the moderator. Now, it's my pleasure to invite Mark Rathbone, partner from PwC, to introduce our panel today. Thanks, Mark. Good afternoon, everyone. Glenn, thank you very much for that warm welcome uh, to another excellent Canadian Club event. Might I start by uh, thanking the Canadian Club, the sponsors, and all of your attendees for coming today, and of course, all of you joining us virtually. Um, PwC greatly appreciates the impact the Canadian Club has on the Toronto business community, and are very pleased to be able to continue our sponsorship of your events as we go forward in the future. And we're especially pleased to be sponsoring today's event. Climate change is one of the most pressing problems we face in our world today. It affects everyone, from families worrying about their children's futures, to pension funds deciding where to invest their capital, to asset owners and operators looking to decarbonize their portfolio to preserve value. The science is clear. To avoid the worst effects of climate change, business, government, and society generally need to work together to try and achieve net zero goals of being net zero by 2050. At the firm, we believe that business community plays a very key role in achieving that objective. We've made worldwide commitments to be net zero by 2030. We're decarbonizing the way we operate and decoupling our business growth from our emissions. We're doing that through a number of different ways, a variety of methods, a couple of examples, reducing our scope one and scope two emissions, and business travel emissions by 50% in absolute terms by 2030 when compared to 2019 numbers. 
Uh, all of our PwC network firms aim to be uh, taking all of their electricity needs from renewable generation by 2030. And finally, of course, mitigating our impacts today by offsetting our emissions through high quality carbon credits where we aim to be com completely carbon neutral by 2030. Our global strategy, the new equation, commits, to, uh, commits us to increasing transparency and helping develop robust ESG frameworks and reporting networks for both our clients and ourselves. In almost all of my conversations that I have with government, asset owners and operators and investors, ESG and climate change feature very heavily across all of those in terms of both driving policy but also making investment decisions. The Canadian aerospace industry contributed over $27 billion to our GDP last year and 212,000 jobs across Canada. It's a critical part of our economy. As the world exited COVID, of course, what we saw was a massive rebound in air traffic, um, in air traffic and the demand for travel, which resulted in emissions across the aviation industry reaching 80% of pre-pandemic levels in 2019. Um, almost certainly in this coming year, in 2023, those emissions levels will either exceed pre-pandemic levels and certainly exceed 2022 levels. There is therefore a need to consider decarbonisation across the industry, and there are various channels to do so, all of which are being encouraged today and explored today, whether it's creating energy efficient airport infrastructure, or indeed looking at regulating and requiring the use of sustainable aviation fuels, or SAFs, or looking at more efficient aircraft, or investing in hydro or electric powered uh, aircraft through R&D spend. Our panelists today are absolutely the right people to talk us through the challenges and opportunities that decarbonisation presents both themselves and their businesses. It's my very great pleasure, therefore, to introduce them to you today. All of them are at the top of their field, and hopefully we'll have a fantastic chat. Firstly, Ben Watt-Schultz, CEO of Airbus, will be one of the panelists. Deborah Flint, CEO of Greater Toronto Airports Authority, and Valerie Durant, Head of Investorations and Corporate Sustainability at Air Canada. The panel will be moderated by Anthony Nareko, President and CEO of the Canadian Business Aviation Association. Thank you very much, panelists, for your time today, and we all look forward to hearing your views. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. While we're walking up, I'd like to echo the same words that Glenn and Mark uh, shared about a note of thanks. As we gather and take our seats up front, I want to make sure that we say thanks to both the folks in the room here today taking time out of your calendars to join us, to the folks online. It's a fantastic conversation with a great panel. A line that I love, especially when we start in forums such as this, you can't change what people think, but you can change the way they think about things. And it's a great opportunity. What Canadian Club and the team Colleen, the board, what they undertake is a conversation about the future. And, and we're talking here about aviation and decarbonization. So a very simple theme, two of them. Where we are and where we are going will form the foundation of today's conversation. I'm very much looking forward to this panel, a great cross-section. We're gonna take the spirit of the traveler journey we're going to experience, we've brought together the airports, Deborah Flint, President and CEO of the Greater Toronto Airport Authority, as Mark alluded to. To her right, Valerie Duran with Air Canada, Head of uh, Investor Relations and Corporate Sustainability. And lastly, from the manufacturing side, Benoit Schultz, Airbus Canada. 
But as we talked about, and as I believe Mark just mentioned about engagement, I want to start with an audience level set. It's an important exercise when we talk about this experience. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you to also raise your hands. Now, I've done a bit of a math. We anticipate with about 10 seats per table, you're about 170-odd people in this room. So I'd hope that uh, each of you at the table will hold each other accountable so that every hand does go up. So the question I'm going to ask is, what is civil aviation's emissions globally? I'll give you three answers. The first will be greater than 12%. The second, I'm already seeing nods on the first table here. <laughs> Let's not bias that, but okay, I saw that <laughs> stage left. Uh, the second answer, between 6 and 12%. And the last answer, less than 4%. So by show of hands, now that you've had a second to contemplate it, who in the room believes that civil aviation's emissions globally are greater than 12%. Any show of hands? Don't be shy now. Oh, I see one. Okay, we're going to get comfortable. I'm seeing kind of partials. Back table. Okay, we get a little bit more. Okay, good. We're getting, we're getting comfortable. How about those then to believe it's between 6 to 12%? Okay, so definitely the, I would agree, maybe the panelists would see more hands come up. The last one, how about less than 4%? Oh, there we go. Okay, good. Educated session. Mm. So on that, let's go to our first question. Um, in its frame that way, civil aviation's emissions are less than 3% across the globe. There are sectors that are far larger in scale in terms of emissions. We have a political climate, whether it's here in Canada or across the globe. There are differences about beliefs. What I want to ask the question to all of our panelists is, is what is your why? What is that commitment to the environment from the various areas? And perhaps we'll go far left to Valerie to start with Air Canada. What's your why? What's that commitment that Air Canada has to the environment? Sure. So why? That's a question that I hear several times a day over and over and over. That's because I have a six-year-old. Um, <laughs> so I'm very skilled at it. So a uh, good answer. Uh, aviation counts for globally two to three percent of emissions. Uh, just a fun fact for you, IT actually contributes to about three percent, and the cars that you drive every day and the trucks that we use to freight are way more than that. So just to level set a few things, and when you think about it, when we think about our emissions at Air Canada, the large bulk of our emissions are from jet fuel emissions. Ninety-eight percent of our emissions are from jet fuel emissions. So when we think about the why, why is it important for us? Well, actually, it's always been important to us because fuel efficiency is part of our business, at the core of our business. We always look for the most efficient aircraft. We always look for the most efficient way to operate it. And why do we do that? So go on a journey with me for, we'll go to 20,000 feet here. We do that for cost control, obviously, because we need to stay competitive. It is a dynamic industry. And we owe that to our employees who have jobs, to our customers who want good prices, to our supply chain that run their business, to our shareholders that trust us. So that is one of our whys. And then obviously air quality is important. It's always been important to us with the, to make sure that we mitigate the noise or the impact that we have on the communities that we serve. The difference now with climate change is that our community is global. So that's the nuance here. And so when we think about the environment that drives our why, the regulatory environment is one of them, 
So obviously there are carbon taxes, and then for us as a global airline, there are also carbon emissions schemes like Corsia that we have to uh, think about as we run our business. So when you think about all of this, you say, okay, so, so why is that important? Well, for an airline, the more we can manage all of these elements and balance our, ba our business plans, the more we will contribute to that all-encompassing sustainability. And that's important. Mark remarked on uh, the GDP. I'll go to 35,000 feet now. Why is it important? Well, as a leading company in Canada, we are a meaningful contributor to Canadian GDP. Okay, we create jobs. Uh, I mean, I don't need to illustrate it. The pandemic showed us how travel is essential to the economy of Canada. So ultimately, that is the why. That is the real why. And the only thing here is that climate change is forcing us to do it much faster. Perfect. Yeah. Deborah, you lead a, a major infrastructure with the Greater Toronto Airport Authority. How does the airport, how do you view that commitment to the environment and sustainability? Yeah. Well, I'm really pleased to be here, and it's wonderful for this panel together to sit, uh, to be together, because the, I think the pandemic and certainly the recovery revealed how much of an ecosystem we really are, uh, and one part that's working well with another piece that is not working well uh, creates incredible impact to uh, people, to the economy, to countries. You know, I would say the why is it's, it's pretty jarring for when, when we think about it at Toronto Pearson. We believe that the industry faces an existential threat if we don't figure out how to decarbonize and how to reduce our impacts on the environment, uh, both built and operational. Uh, I'm really pleased that the majority of this room uh, did not pick the, the, the larger number of impacts. So, you know, some of the education that's been happening is certainly uh, taking hold. But to the general public, the perception of aviation is that it is a far greater contributor to the impacts that uh, we, we are seeing take place across the climate, across our world. And so with that comes this prone to be regulated, prone to have mandates and rules that are challenging for the industry to deliver upon um, because it feels so tangible to the human. Um, you know, very much I get, uh, like many of my team that's here, uh, will get very simple questions. Well, why don't you just fix security? I could do that if I walked it off the street. Because people think that they understand the industry and that they can make it, they can make it uh, different and better. So we're very prone uh, to this type of regulation. We've got to figure out together as an ecosystem how to advance the future and protect this industry. It is absolutely about the economic development. But I think the other thing that we saw from the pandemic is how important the freedom and the right and the ability to travel is for human beings and their need to connect. In an environment like Canada where immigration and having the globally, the fourth uh, or the prior, previously the seventh busiest uh, and interconnected airport in the world, what that means to Canadians is really, really important personally to families, to livelihood. So we have an obligation in terms of how we serve our citizens as well as how we boost the economy and ba our backbone of the economy to make this transition. So I do think the threats of reducing the business or making the business too expensive are very real and, and eminent for us. 
So I'm really pleased that we have a forum like this where we're working as an ecosystem. At Pearson, we have a very strong track record of already improving uh, upon our environmental stewards stewardship. Uh, we've uh, achieved over 60% reduction of our mid-2000s target in greenhouse gas reduction emissions. That's wonderful and great, but there's still another 40% to go. And that 40% is gonna be really, really mm -hmm. difficult to achieve. And those are just the scope one and two emissions. We have to work as an ecosystem. Airports like Pearson need to evolve beyond being just places of planes and cargo and people to becoming future energy hubs. There's no one single solution that's gonna allow this industry to decarbonize, and it's a very long time frame for us to be able to, to make that happen. I'll give an example. To electrify the flights that exist today, today at JFK, the number of nuclear reactors that are required for that electrification are over 10. Over 10 nuclear reactor power worth of energy required for one airport. There are thousands of airports across this system. So we've got to work together with some of our partners that do plan for decades ahead like airports do. Some of our partners in the ecosystem plan for quarters ahead, some for years. But somehow we've got to work across this ecosystem and have a transitionary plan, a plan of what energy sources, manu what our manufacturer is gonna do, what our airlines going to do, and when, in order for this industry to transition successfully. It's an imperative, we're making progress. I believe there's good reasons for confidence, but there are big challenges ahead for us to actually achieve that end state. Fantastic. Ben, while your company Airbus Canada produces these vehicles that empower movement, how does Airbus Canada view its commitment, your why to the environment? Difficult to speak after Valeria. <laughs> <laughs> but the good thing is we didn't prepare much uh, together, so it's, uh, I just, take it maybe from a, an, another level. And uh, you know, when, we, when you think aviation, you think uh, product, you think aircraft, you think uh, uh, airport infrastructure, you think eventually uh, fuel, uh, these type of things. But uh, ultimately, I think what we are talking about here is really people. It's uh, our, uh, our mission, our purpose as, as an industry. Uh, what why are we here for? What are we here for is uh, to connect people, to connect cultures. Um, I think the world has uh, reminded us uh, recently how important it is. Uh, at Airbus, we, um, we have a purpose that uh, we've uh, taken a few years to phrase, but which now is a, um, a sentence that all of our employees really uh, have uh, close to their heart, which is uh, we pioneer sustainable aerospace for a safe and united world. And, and this is, I think, the, the first level of the why. That, that's, uh, so it, it's really about, uh, about people. And those two to three percent, when you think of the need for people to connect, the desire for people and cultures to meet, that can well grow much beyond this if we, if we do nothing. Mm -hmm. So there's another layer of why, which is, uh, uh, yes, it's two to three percent. It's already too much but it, can be, it could be much more. Okay. Now, um, going one, la one layer down, um, in those two to three percent, also the vast majority of it, 97% of those, is how you operate aircraft. It's about operating the aircraft. It's the emissions of the aircraft when they are operated. 
So that also puts in perspective everything we do in our um, respective business. We try to, uh, and we do improve the way we manufacture aircraft. Our facilities are becoming greener. Uh, we have uh, set ourselves an ambition to reduce by 60, more than 60%, 63% actually, um, those emissions of our uh, manufacturing plants uh, within a, a few years by, uh, by 2030. Uh, but 97% is emissions when we fly aircraft. Mm -hmm. And when we fly aircraft, it means you have the aircraft, the products, you have the ones who fly and operate the aircraft, the airlines, who have the, you have the ones who enable all of this, the infrastructures. So those 97% are ours in a way. And this is, this, is, this is why we are here together also to, to do that. Now, not going too much into solutions, but I know, I know we'll touch uh, probably on this later, but the good news is there are solutions. Mm -hmm. There are solutions uh, on all levels. There are solutions on the products, uh, here, our responsibility at Airbus is, is uh, first and foremost the product. Uh, we have a product portfolio that we believe is uh, really advanced in that respect. Uh, you may know that if you take the worldwide fleet of aircraft, uh, three quarters of the fleet today is not of the newer generation. So if we were to just uh, focus on, okay, let's take those older aircraft gradually out of service and let's put newer, more efficient aircraft in service, 75% of this you can reduce by at least 25%. The aircraft that we have today that are, uh, some of, of which are uh, with our customer and partners, uh, a bit more than 30 A220s and, uh, and, and more to come, uh, those emit 25% less uh, than aircraft of older generation. So you can make a big impact simply, simply, by renewing the fleet. Other levels, uh, fuel. Today our aircraft are today, no, no need for uh, further uh, modification. They can fly with a blend of 50% of sustainable aviation fuel. All of our aircraft. And those, this fuel emits, if you, if you look at it from a life cycle perspective, it emits 80% less CO2. So another leverage, if we had sustainable aviation fuel in much greater quantities, you could already impact a lot uh, of those 97% uh, that I was, uh, I was talking uh, about. So we have plenty of uh, avenues that we are, that we are uh, pushing and investigating. Uh, but it only can work if everyone plays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, so, we, we have these conversations, right? Been while we started this even last year, and certainly there are Canada about the importance of sustainable aviation fuel. Canada is a generator of, 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 of SAF. Uh, but that needs to be powered by, you know, exponentially in order to serve the demand that's out there. So it's a really great opportunity uh, for our economy to develop this. But we find that we're in this stage of more advocacy than we are of implementation. Mm -hmm. 
right? We need to work together across Canada in particular to increase the opportunities to develop more sustainable aviation fuels. This is one of the limitations that we face, and as Benoit said, we could have a tremendous, much faster impact uh, in reducing our, our climate uh, emissions if we can uh, accelerate sustainable aviation fuel we, sources here. We don't want to... Uh just drop, drop too many numbers, but today we, we speak of sustainable aviation fuel. How, what do you think? How much, what's the proportion of sustainable aviation fuel today used for uh, commercial flights? In volumes. I heard 2%. I heard someone say 2%. <laughs> less than one on average, and, and much less than one. I actually have a really good stat on that one. If you took the entire supply of sustainable aviation fuel that is available globally, in 2021, Air Canada would have flown nine days of its schedules. But there is hope because in 2022, it was 41. So, but that gives you an idea of scale of, of what are we dealing with right now. So yes, there are solutions. Um, meaningful solutions, but for them to accelerate, we need to really action them now. Mm. It's, you know, it's, you don't wake up in 2049 and start thinking about 2050, and you don't wake up in 2029 and start thinking about 2030, so they need to be actioned on now. And building on that, and that's kind of the, so you had a chance then to hear the commitment from the panelists about their why. But going to the, the next phase, which is what's next, this is that critical question. What are the steps, concrete steps we can take? I'd put forward that there really are three. The first, the biggest, using the technology that we have today, as Benoit alluded to, SAF, sustainable aviation fuel, that's number one. Second, technology and design, pushing the curve, driving adoption. Benoit, you talked about fleet renewal. The third is traffic management both in the air, and I want to also uh, call out uh, as part of stakeholders, our country's air navigation service provider, Nav Canada. Some of those senior staff are in the room as well. And so it's those three components that fit together. And the question, and, and just maybe just as a quick follow-up to that SAF, each of our uh, panelists, as well as business aviation, are part of this Canadian Council for Sustainable Aviation Fuels. The target, so Canada has an ambitious climate target, 10% of Canada's fuel by 2030. Mm -hmm. The challenge, and it goes to each of what our panelists just mentioned, that number equates to roughly 1 billion liters of jet fuel for Canada. And right now, this is the challenge, the development. And for many of you, I, uh, certainly the, that, that feedback of government's job is to create incentives, incentives to do what we all think is the right thing, and incentives to prevent people from doing the things that we think are wrong. So let's build on that, but let's go to that traveler journey. So let's start at the airport where you all do the same thing. So Deborah, if you could expand a little bit about we talk about traffic management that takes place both in the air and on the ground, but can you talk a little bit about sustainability, uh, the connection to the community, and what GTA is doing on that front? Yeah, I'm happy to, and happy to share maybe some insight that uh, wouldn't be so obvious about GTAA and Pearson Airport, ones that I think you can all be very proud of as Canada's gateway airport. Uh, as we sit on almost 1,400 acres of land, actually the land that's the size of Atlanta Airport, the world's uh, busiest year over year, 30% uh, of our lands are actually dedicated to environmental stewardship and protection. 
30% of them with our creek beds uh, that are protected, where we have pedestrian pathways that allow the public to come in and enjoy the naturescape that we protect, as well as enjoy the beauty of what we see, uh, many different aircraft taking off, landing, and moving around the, the ecosystem of the airport. So we take our environmental stewardship of our lands incredibly serious. Uh, we're very proud of our track record. I shared earlier our 60% reduction, but it, it's more than just the emissions reduction. Uh, it's the full ecosystem of the environment. 70% of the waste that's generated in the terminals is diverted away from landfill. And while it's a little controversial, we are working on how you can convert that waste into energy as well. Something even as uh, pleasant, they seem to follow me everywhere, but you know, we're busy bees. Uh, and we have over 20 different honeybee hives at the airport uh, that are home to a million bees that are around the area and we know how important those things are to the ecosystem. So around our facilities, we're constantly striving to make a more efficient operation. More efficiency around the airport as well absolutely contributes to the ability to uh, reduce impacts that come from aviation. One of the most kind of publicly facing significant impacts is around aircraft noise. Whether that's noise of you know, overflights or aircraft noise as they're powering up and doing run-ups at the airport as well. So that's something we're very active on. And I'm really pleased to see the advanced technologies that we have used and deployed with our partners. I, I heard that NAV Canada is here in the room. Uh, they're one of the best air traffic management system agencies in the world, frankly. Uh, some of the most advanced procedures uh, for flight paths uh, are being deployed here because of that work of NAV Canada. Uh, the equivalent of over 140,000 residents not having overflights is a result of one modernized flight path system that NAV Canada is using new technologies. We need the aircraft, of course, to be able to deliver those advanced maneuvers. We know aircraft can perform in that way today. And of course, the system has to become healthier uh, in order for airlines to continue to purchase and invest in those new modern uh, aircraft with those capabilities. So we work very closely with our communities, again, with this lens of we are stewards uh, of, our, of the airport, the lands, and the ecosystem around the airport to create better social impact uh, and offset the realities that aviation does have its challenges, it does have its pollutants, it does have its aggravations. But the dollars to the economy, the connected connectivity that we all spoke of, and the examples of how great environmental stewardship is happening right here at your Canadian airports, I think is something really purposeful, meaningful, uh, and uh, something that we should take uh, dear uh, here in Canada. Thanks, Deborah. So continuing that theme, now we've walked through the terminal, we've got that update. Shifting to Valerie in Air Canada, you know, you've got an interesting role, both investor relations tasked with, with that component, philanthropy, the environment, social impact for the company. How do you balance or how do you view uh, the business maintaining profitability while in making these critical investments to achieve these future goals? But how do you and an organization like Air Canada think about that going forward with respect to the customers? Well, I think it goes back to my earlier point. It, you have to reach that balance, right? You have to look at what's important to your customers, your employees, your supply chain, the economy you serve, the, the people you look to connect. I always say that we aim to make meaningful connections, and 
Um, I know we all look forward to that after the pandemic. I kind of want to shut off the pandemic in my head. It's going to be very hard because it was uh, definitely an ordeal for us. So, so the way we look at it is the principle of shared value, really. So, so what is our priorities? What's really meaningful uh, to us as a business? What's our business plan? What are our core priorities? And then in looking at those priorities, attaching another lens to say, okay, well, what's meaningful to all of those stakeholders and that balance that I'm looking to, to reach and making sure that we address both at the same time. So, so that's where the role of ESG and IR come in really uh, interestingly together and dance well together because I can, it, we are able to explain where the value is in achieving both. Perfect. Well, then even building on that, so a question that came, uh, and it's great, I'd encourage you also to, uh, to pursue that. So we talked about offsets, and maybe it's, again, a question to the, to the audience. Air Canada does have an offset program that is optional for its passengers, and so you all can contemplate that. The question is, um, that offset that you purchase, if you could share a little bit of insight, how that program works, how many people are using it, and, and is it effective, is it impactful? That Leave Less program, I believe, is what it's called. Sure, so before I speak to the program, maybe I'll just take a quick poll. How many of you are Aeroplan members? Okay, so good, thank you for your loyalty. <laughs> did, you know, <laughs> did you know that when you redeem a flight for travel using your Aeroplan points, Air Canada offsets your travel? you don't need to do anything, we're actually doing it for you. Then you can do a little more, and you can purchase your own offsets through our booking flow. You can purchase them after travel if you forgot, you can purchase them for someone else if you want to give them something, and you can purchase them through the Aeroplan e-store that we have. And then if you're a corporate customer, and I know many are in the room and many are participating in this, um, in this program, we have our Leave List program, whereby we partner with our corporate customers, our cargo customers, and work with them for the purchase of SAF and, and offsets. And to answer your question, the take-up has been really, really good uh, in terms of the individual customers buying the offset through the booking flow. The numbers have exceeded our expectations. And in terms of our corporate leave list program, the take-up is we have too much demand that we have supply. So what this means is that people are aware, people are willing to engage, and as we engage further with our customers, that'll help us develop further products and, and innovate in different ways and continue to offer something that people are looking for. Perfect, thank you. Maybe shifting then to the aircraft manufacturing, and I can almost do like three for one with the questions that we've got, Benoit. So again, thank you. It goes back to your point, I think, about the fleet renewal mm -hmm. and using the latest technologies. Uh, and so I, I wanna kind of get some of the themes. First is, what does the future look like in terms of innovation? Not just from the aircraft side, but a couple questions have come through about the skill sets required for the men and women that either build the aircraft, work on the aircraft. So I'm seeing questions about the future skill sets for engineers, um, the ideas of fleet renewal um, and, and, and emissions. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the future technology and what skill sets perhaps that uh, young men and women can use to develop and advance that. It's the future, but I even uh, offer to start now because it's, uh, again, it's, we have solution available today. Um, to the earlier point of uh, how can we also improve the, uh, uh, how we operate and navigate the aircraft, uh, 
there are solutions. The aircraft is today capable of doing, of uh, flying, as an example, much closer to other aircraft than it is uh, regulated to do today. Mm -hmm. We've proven that also. Some of you may have uh, seen, we had uh, a year ago, about a year ago, an experiment which was inspired from uh, nature and from the birds, where we took two A350s, so our wide-body aircraft, and we flew them from um, Toulouse to Montreal, two of them. One was the leader aircraft, and the second flew basically in the wake of the, of the first, inspired by what the birds do when they take energy to fly with uh, finally less uh, forces and less energy. And that, on that transatlantic flight from Toulouse to Montreal, uh, save 10%, close to 10% of fuel for the following aircraft. That was close to five tons of fuel saved on that flight. Mm -hmm. So you, just to give you, uh, and that, yes, that required that the aircraft be not uh, separated by uh, a few tens of nautical miles, as is the case today, but that they fly much closer together. But it is feasible, it is feasible. Okay. Other things in terms of uh, technology, your, your, your question on technology, I think what the, the feeling we are getting, and I think the uh, a bit of the message we are trying to pass also is, it's not gonna be one solution. So we, we spoke of the aircraft renew, uh, fleet renewal, we spoke of the fuel, uh, I'm sure you expect me to speak of hydrogen for uh, tomorrow's, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow's aircraft, this is possible. I mean, we have said we, we, we could be in a position to deliver an aircraft that would be uh, a clean, uh, from an emission standpoint, a clean aircraft by 2035. So that's a decade away. It's not, uh, and for that, we are, we are developing the bricks that uh, there are several ways you can, you can uh, fly your hydrogen aircraft. One way is you burn hydrogen in almost uh, existing uh, engines and that's feasible with not much modification. You can do that. Uh, if your hydrogen is green, then of course the emissions are much lower. Another, another concept that we are exploring is you could do that to, uh, you could use hydrogen in a fuel cell, turn it into electricity and use electrical engines. Other ways of doing things. So what, what I'm trying to say is, um, which way is the, the, the one that will finally uh, we will finally see at this point in time, not deciding and we don't know, but our duty today is to explore all of them. And there are some levels that are short term, flying aircraft in certain conditions, renewing the fleet, using uh, SAF uh, to be produced in higher quantities. There are some that are a bit more remote from a timing uh, perspective, but we need to explore them. If it's only if we have uh, my, my Conviction, it's, it's a hybrid of solution that we will see. It is uh, not one, and it's also a hybrid not only on the product, but also on the way we operate the aircraft, and also on the way we serve the aircraft and the passenger uh, on ground. The last idea maybe I also um, want to give, because we, uh, yes, we are, the, we are the aircraft manufacturer at Airbus, but we see also ourselves as with a mission to uh, federate the forces of the industry around that uh, ID. Uh, so one thing we could think of, I'm not saying this is what, what's gonna happen, but uh, one thing we could think of is if tomorrow uh, we, could, we, were, we were able to tell our uh, customers, uh, 
we cancel an aircraft. It's an efficient aircraft. We could, we could also try to offer you a, so a solution that is the aircraft and maybe a credit for that many tons of green solutions as a, as a package. Again, I'm not saying this is what we will do, but I think it's this kind of innovation uh, that can take us uh, a bit further. Perfect. So then with the time that we've got, approximately five minutes before we turn it back to Glenn, we've talked about where we've been, we've talked about their commitments to the environment, we've talked about the opportunity, SAF, technology and design, traffic movement in the air, on the ground. The last question that I want to pose to the audience, both to our panelists and then for you to contemplate, many of you in the room have the opportunity to enhance, make investments in and support these initiatives. So the last question that I want to leave to our panelists for each of them is what, what, what message do you want to leave to the panelists, whether it's the panelists in the room, government officials, what keeps you up at night about the missed opportunity? What is it that you want them, an actionable piece of information or an idea that allow these folks to walk out and help move us along this mission of decarbonization? So perhaps if I could start, Valerie, with the, with the time left. Yeah, I think, I mean, for us, we, we've touched on it in different angles. It's the principle that this is not a company challenge. This is not an Air Canada challenge. It is a global challenge. We're all in it together. We have to deal with it as an ecosystem. And so we need to have that balance in the ecosystem that provides an environment that is condu conducive to the growth within that balance. So when you think about SAF, for example, in Canada, we have an opportunity. In Canada today, there is no SAF being produced commercially. So we have made commitments to purchase 1% of SAF by 2025, and that is what we feel is realistic with what we know today. So what we need, what we need, the ask, what we, our call to action is that we need to work together to make sure that we have an environment that is conducive to the supply of SAF and the creation of new technologies, and that make it affordable for the end users at the end of the day. And so I think it's, it's that balance needs to be looked at from a multi-stakeholder approach, and that is how we will tackle this challenge together, because it is a together challenge. And we will continue to invest as long as that's there, um, but we need to deal with it together. Fantastic, Valerie. So with maybe two minutes uh, both remaining, both for each of you, so Deborah, okay. to you. Look, this is a very critical, difficult ecosystem. Uh, there are many players across the channels. The best airports in the world, the airports of the future, which Pearson absolutely can be, are energy hubs of the future. They're gonna provide a way for, whether it's electric flight, electrification of the activities that are on the ground, transit to be able to come into the airport using intelligent transportation systems, digitalization, for example, and then hydrogen. We have a hydrogen pilot station that's been, uh, that we've stood up with Carlson Energy at the airport. We're gonna be a multi-energy source, fuel source airport of the future, but to do that, we have to start now. Mm -hmm. The ecosystem has shown what it can do to recover together. While last year was incredibly difficult, 180% growth, this year, thanks to the work with our partners, our OTP, it still has a long way to go, but it's back to where it was in 2019. We have an incredible amount of resiliency that we didn't have before, and we're gonna to continue to invest on that. But we have to move quickly, and I would say to the call to action is 
bring the innovation that's going to play out and is going to enable us to make this transition, to make a greener economy, to make a more resilient economy, but reflect the importance of the aviation sector. It is incredibly important for the connectivity, for the livelihood of this country, both for its people as well as for its economy. Thanks, Deborah. Last and not least, Benoit, your, your parting message. Hello. Maybe first, I, uh, before, before an ask, an offer, uh, I hope you see us, the three of us, and the industry uh, also behind, as very determined. Mm -hmm. I think it's not, and, and also concrete. And to say, you know, it's ideas that are floating around. It is concrete stuff that we are offering, that we are investing in. Um, we are investing a lot of money billions of euros or, or, or dollars into R&D, those, those bricks that I was uh, referring to earlier, that is, and we do it because we are convinced not, we have no choice. Uh, voilà. So we, um, we are very determined. We've taken commitment as an industry, a net zero by uh, 2050, that's a commitment, and we also have much shorter term targets. I was, I was naming some of them. So we, we have made commitments. Uh, I think we have a track record, our industry, of meeting our commitments. So far, we've met our commitments, not only in that respect. You know, we, we, I, I tend to feel like, like that we are in a revolution for our industry. Uh, we, don't, we didn't have many of them. One was to actually learn to fly, first revolution. Uh, probably the second was uh, fly safely. I think we have a track record of... Uh, bringing safety to, the, uh, to, our, uh, to, to our people. This is our third revolution. Now we need to fly in a sustainable way. So we are very determined to, uh, to do that. Now the ask, um, completely agree, we can't, none of us can do that alone. Uh, we are a regulated industry for the good of it, uh, safety, we have also regulations because we are our first and foremost uh, value is to bring you home safely. So that's, and that's why also we accept to be a, and we want to be a regulated industry. And we need a framework. And that's, that's what we are, uh, we need a framework to make it happen in many ways. Uh, when you put a SAF in an aircraft, you want that SAF to be safe to meet a certain level of specification such that the aircraft can operate in the way it is supposed to operate, as an example. So it's in many ways that we need the framework to happen, and this is also with, not only with industry players, but also with organizations that span across countries, across the organization. The ICAO commitment that was made in the fall of 2022 was for me very instrumental uh, it's a commitment by all nations of the United Nations. You need that kind of uh, momentum to make it happen. Perfect. Thank you. Well, then, while Glenn, if you could come up, if, because, gentlemen, if I could ask for your applause, I want to thank the panel for their opportunity. We'll stay. Thanks to each of you for coming, and we'll turn it over to Glenn. Thank you. And um, thank you to the panelists. I learned so much today. I, I truly did. And I mean, Ali and I were proud to vote in the sub 4% at the very beginning, and we thought we felt good knowing that. And, we, and a few of us knew the 2 to 3% number, too. But I think beyond that, it was like I, I learned a ton. And 
I really feel like I understand the, the challenge, the pathway, and the hope that, uh, that you have for the tractability and, and the number of solutions and the working together that you've demonstrated and, and we know is critical. So I really want to applaud you and Benoit, Valerie, and Deborah. Thank you on behalf of the club for your passion and leadership of our Canadian aerospace and airline industry. And I wish you all the best in terms of working together to address this vital challenge. So thank you for being with us today. And Anthony, thank you for facilitating uh, so effectively. It was a wonderful discussion. And I, again, I mean, I think, I guess you're the um, TA for our lesson today. So I appreciate that. Um, before we close, I'd like to invite you to join us for two more events that we have lined up in October. Next week, October 11th, we will welcome the premier of Prince Edward Island as our speaker, the Honorable Dennis King. And then on Wednesday, October 18th, Goldie Hyder, the President and CEO of Business Council of Canada, will be our special guest. Please visit our website at canadianclub.org for more information. Let me conclude by thanking our AV partner, VVC Live, for its great services and support, and a final thank you to PwC for sponsoring today's event. Members and guests, thanks for being with us today, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Enjoy the rest of the afternoon. Thank you.